You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Enemy of My Enemy. I am Hody Johns. I'm Brian Waldemuth. I'm Archie Flower. And welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you here. Today we're talking about the ultra-interesting subject of inflation and a little bit of budget spending. And uh, it's gonna, it should be a great story. So just to introduce the subject, on uh, May 27th, the White House unveiled a $6 trillion budget plan. Uh, this would bring deficit the deficit, even with the tax increases, uh, to $3.7 trillion, according to the White House. And that's if we take the tax rate on corporate earners from 21% to 28%, um, and we take the highest individual income tax earners all the way up to just a hair under 40% at 39.6%. If this passes, the government would have to borrow 50% exactly of what we spend. Um, there is... Uh, a breakdown, $2.3 trillion will go to businesses that are deemed to contribute towards the infrastructure. $1.8 trillion will go towards the American Families Plan. And $1.5 trillion will go to the Pentagon and other government agencies. This plan marks a drastic turn for the Biden administration because he actually promised to be the Democrat who spent the least extra amount of money during the primary season. Uh, it was estimated that his proposed uh, additional proposals would cost a total of $297 billion annually, as opposed to, of course, $6 trillion. Uh, this plan was quickly followed up because there was an immediate backlash talking about inflation. And uh, so there was a formal press conference from an economic advisor from the White House who explained that this rampant inflation was actually a positive for the economy. Uh, prices have surged 4.2% in a single month uh, of April, despite a self-imposed rule by the Federal Reserve that inflation would be limited to 2% annually. Uh, Mr. Bharat Rama. Murti argued that this fluctuation was actually bringing prices back to what their value was supposed to be. So everything costs a little too less, and now it will actually cost more. The White House acknowledges that this inflation will make prices up. It will make things more expensive, but that that's kind of the best thing for the economy. Uh, Brian, I will start with you and let you give your thoughts on that, buddy. Take it away. Sure. Um, if you are upper middle class, upper class, make over a hundred thousand dollars a year, you don't care. This is this is actually might be a good thing. Your real estate values just went up. Your four hundred one ks are going to go up. Um, if you own anything of value, it just went up in value with you just not doing a darn thing, thanks to the federal government. Uh, however, uh, for the rest of the country who maybe is renting or living paycheck to paycheck, or, you know, just existing, um, you just got screwed by about probably a 10% tax, um, just for the heck of it, um, because we are terrible at monetary policy. Uh, the reality is, is that this is a tax on the poor. So anyone who doesn't own property, who doesn't have significant savings and things like that and investments are going to get screwed by the now the higher cost of living. 
that lease that you signed for $700 a month is going to go up to $900. That car that you were planning on buying for $2,000, it's now going to be $3,500. I mean, the, the, there you could bring in some, some supply issues with demand, things like that, which of course we screwed up with the stimulus checks. Don't get me wrong, some of them were definitely needed, but there's fine line that you have to sit there and say, how is this going to hurt the poor in the end? And it all gets back to good intentions. Well, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that we did something very similar to this, uh, to the poor, where we decided to inflict the most harm on them in the name of saving them with two various programs. Number one, cash for clunkers. And number two, uh, right pricing the cost of gasoline. Uh, the number one capital cost for the poor is a used vehicle. And the number one variable cost for the poor is gasoline. So if I wanted to make people that are poor more miserable, I just took the two biggest expenses that they have and just decided to jack them up a nice little, you know, they'll say 5%, but in reality, it's gonna be 10, 15, 20%, just based on the weird supply dynamics that we're going through right now with the evictions. So in a nutshell, um, this is probably the worst thing that could happen to the poor as we see it. Uh, it's a terrible fiscal policy. Uh, this is only going to make things far worse. Uh, they can wrap this around jobs and ideas and things like that, but in reality, it's it's all gonna go towards graft and various little pet projects. And the people that run those projects, the ones that have the property, have the investments, have the ability to weather an inflationary increase are gonna do great. So um, if you are making over 100K a year, that's awesome, congratulations. If you're making under 100K a year, better start uh, figuring out what you're gonna do next because everything's going up. Yeah, uh, thank you for that, Brian. Archie, what do you think about inflation? Oh no, Archie, Sorry. I can no longer hear you suddenly. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, I tell you what, Archie, you you try to work out whatever that was. I will I will go ahead and I will take Archie's spot. I'll let Archie have the closing words on this one here. Um, go ahead and pipe up if if you do want to test in Archie if you can. So what I got here is just that I hear some music coming from Archie. Archie, do I hear you now? Oh nope. I hear testing. That now oh, I hear you. Yeah, sorry. It's okay, buddy. Go ahead. Go ahead. Give us your so, thoughts on inflation. Uh, so yeah, when you when you told me the uh, topic for tonight was inflation, I thought you meant um, like physics, like uh, at the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang inflation. Yeah. Uh, I think that would actually be preferable to um, what we're actually about to see. Uh, as libertarians, we believe in the non-aggression principle, which simply states it is immoral to initiate force or fraud against a non-consenting person. And I think that other than, uh, as Brian highlighted, the rich are uh, gonna profit from this. I think everyone else is gonna be non-consenting to the fraud that we're seeing with inflation because you're printing more fiat currency. That's the very definition of inflation. I'm not sure how much they've printed this year, but it's an insane number. And you can't, I mean, mathematicians, don't really wrap their heads around these kind of numbers. They, they understand how many zeros it is, but it's still not a human number. And it is not just simply a tax on the poor, it's, it's a wealth transfer from the poor to the rich. It's 
essentially the biggest fraud in human history and it's happening right under our noses and it's happening to you know hundreds of millions of our neighbors across America and it's absolutely deplorable that uh, the government's going to get away with this. Uh, we understand this, but we're economics nerds. The American people are just getting ripped off and they're gonna continue to get ripped off so long as we have uh, these kind of people in power. And they don't care about the American people. They only you know, exist to serve the rich and that's exactly why they're doing this because as the prices increase, the people that have more money can take advantage faster of the new money supply and the people who have less money get the, you know, trickle down and uh, we know what's trickling. Yeah, uh, trickle down debt is definitely a real thing. So uh, thank you for your thoughts on that here. Let me go so we can see everybody's pretty faces here. So one of the biggest problems with inflation is it's not necessarily an issue unless incomes don't keep up to match inflation. It's okay if prices increase so long as your wages go up. And just giving a cursory glance, I, uh, I mentioned that um, the Fed has a self-imposed 2% rule. The last time they have not waived that rule, was almost 10 years ago now. So it's prices have, have been increasing by more than 2% for over a decade. They usually increase about 2%. Now, if you think about that, that means that your wages to match this kind of inflation, even at the minimum, at a minimum, should have gone up by 20%. If you think your, your wages have gone up by 20% for the same job, mind you. This is not your wages like you got a promotion. This is just the same jobs. Wages have gone up by 20% in the last decade. You are dreaming. Uh, that's just not the reality. And unfortunately, you just fall further and further behind. People fall further and further behind. Brian already did one of my points really well. This is something that is extremely, when the White House came out and said this, it's just, it's smacks of privilege. It is very patently obvious that this is, like not, <laughs> they don't sync up, you know, like this is just, this is something that the poor people pay for. Um, and actually it's, it's, it's circulation. So what happens is when they first add the money, that's the prices haven't had to do a ch had a chance to adjust yet. Now who first gets that money then, and therefore gets to pay prices at the lowest possible value when money is added to the economy. The majority money is entered through a loan and it's given to banks. It's given to big businesses. That's just the way it is. These big businesses and banks get the immediate effect before the effect of the, of the inflation hits. So who actually shoulders the burden of that inflation? Well, it's actually going to be the poor. This is common. It's uh, been there. Ron Milford, welcome. Thanks for participating. He mentions wages haven't gone on went up with the prices since the late 70s. Okay. I do have uh <clears throat> I do have a bit of a gripe and that's that libertarians sometimes tend to be doomsdayers about this. The problem is if you constantly predict the end of the world and the world doesn't end, you damage your own position. So like I mean look at something like for example global warming and the number of publications that predicted the end of the world that were very reputable. If they were accurate, we'd have been underwater a hundred times by now. I mean, it's just, and so unfortunately, even though it's a, I, at least according to me, it's a very real concept because this over prediction of the doomsday 
they've discredited themselves and it's very hard for people to build up that credibility again. So that's not something I necessarily want to do as a libertarian because there's actually several ways in which inflation manifests itself. And it's not only in the prices. One of the things that you notice if you say, well, if we haven't been keeping up, I mean, if we just haven't been keeping up the seventies and it's been like, everybody's making half of what the prices are, wouldn't we all be underwater by now? Well, the reality is, is that we actually do tend to compensate for these things because we're human beings and we want to live. We have this survival instinct that kicks in. So when something like inflation go down, I'm just going to read a few things here. Ron mentions the seventies and I'm glad he did because this goes with what I have to say here. So your average household back in the 1970s is working 41 hours per household. Now it's about 68 hours per household. So the thing is, is you have more people working to survive and make those payments and buy those staples like groceries and clothing and rent, mortgage, whatever it may be. Hours, as I already mentioned, increase hours per household, but not only per household, but also per individual tend to increase. People spend less time with their families during holidays and weekends. It's almost a running joke now that the middle class is spending, you know, holidays. Oh, it's the weekend. I'm going to go hang out with the kids. You're working. If you're middle class or lower class, you're working on the weekends by and large. It's just something that that is cropped up. People are working more of these days and and compared to what they were before because they've had to increase in hours. Many people have just had to increase hours by working, you know, more hours during the weekdays, 12, 16 hour shifts, not uncommon. Uh, you know, there's a time when I would have been able to show my 12 hour card and people would have been like, wow, you work for 12 hours a day. That's nuts. And, and nowadays it's, you show that and everybody's like, Oh, big deal. I did 14 yesterday. I did 16 yesterday. You know, it's just um, more people per household. I meant to that mention that. And of course, prices as well. And there's things that we deal with there. So even if the prices all go up, what happened? Well, now things that ordinarily would be considered, hey, every household should have one of these becomes, well, maybe we can deal without that. Maybe we're not going to have the landline anymore. Maybe we're not going to have cable anymore. And all these things then become luxuries when in reality, they actually probably should have been necessities. And they're just sacrificing more and more things that we're getting rid of Brian, I know I see you grimacing. We can argue about what a necessity actually is, but what I'm saying is these are things that most people would consider a necessity if we had an abundance of money, but now it's considered a luxury because we don't have the money that matches up with it. That's what that's kind of my shtick on um, inflation. There's a lot. I don't want to preach doomsday because, like I said, we, we, we discredit ourselves. I know uh, we have a very great friend of the network who – heard from a another great libertarian that predicted like the end of the world and just racked up a bunch of credit card debt thinking the whole thing was going to go away and uh, the fed was going to go under and it, it didn't exactly go under. And so that's, I don't, I don't like predicting doomsday because, and it's not because the government hasn't tried. They do terrible things. It's just that unfortunately we as human beings are really great at compensating for getting a, like a, a large burden placed upon us. And as long as we compensate, we'll keep surviving. We just shouldn't have to compensate this way. We shouldn't have to make these sacrifices, these increased hours and everything like that. So, uh, Brian, since I, since I saw you grimacing a little bit, did, did you did you have some contention with anything I had to say there? Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Hit me. Um, the two things that you quoted, uh, and I, I'm going to pick on those specifically yeah. because I work for one of those industries, um, and and the reality is nobody wants those anymore. Nobody wants a landline. 
nobody wants cable TV. They want streaming. They want a cell phone. They want a good data plan. So the market has reacted in a way to go ahead and provide those things. Now, when cell phones first came out, and let's say about eh, you know early, late '90s, let's say it started getting real popular, uh, it was about 100 bucks a month per phone, and there was no family plan and blah blah blah. Let's take your two percent inflation on that. In, in a world of two percent inflation. That $100 a month phone plan, which really had no data, was just call somebody and you could only call in the area you lived in, that type of thing. That should be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 100, 140 bucks, you know, two percent compounded. But let, let's take, let's roll that back. Are we paying $140 a month for our, our wireless phone plans? No, we're not. We're paying, you know, you can get as low as 15 bucks, according to um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ryan. Uh, 15 bucks for the plan that he or the group that he works with um your streaming is 15 bucks uh i remember that being the cost of hbo when i was a kid back in the 80s and i remember that was a lot of money uh at least perspective wise when, when i grew up and things like that 15 bucks nowadays uh you know it would take me for you know after taxes it'd take me almost a whole day of work at 335 an hour to pay that 15 bucks for hbo i, I can get that in an hour so it, it, it's not that there's, you know, that we all are sticking with the, te the technology we have. Technology advances, prices drop, competition brings out more people to be able to offer more products, better services that are far more in line with what we want. And the same thing's going on with everything from air conditioners, televisions. Uh, the only things that seem to not go down in price is like education, healthcare, uh, you know, things like that. Cars, you can kind of get into, you know, the new cars are a lot more expensive. But education and healthcare are the two that just really shot up in price in that time frame. Like, I'm trying to think who kind of controls pricing in those models. <laughs> right? Oh, facetious. <laughs> so I, there's, there's a lot of pieces to unpack on that. Um, I will say, yeah, wages have not kept up with with um, with I, us. But but the reality is, is that the market, like you were saying, Hody, we find ways to survive and people find ways to be able to deliver to us. And the scary thing is this. If demand wasn't, you know, curtailed so much, we probably you could, as I said, if supply and demand are kept at equilibrium, you can dump more money in if right. if, if the demand meets it. It's going to stay here. Guess what we did? We dumped in a bunch of money. Yeah. The demand went. And wait, the money stopped. Yeah. <laughs> there was a shortage. So it's it's trying to balance so many different things. It's just, it's the lumber issues. It's all this other stuff. Some of these are temporary. Some of these are permanent. You are correct. I will withdraw my point about cell phones and cable. Because the better examples of luxury stuff is like secondary education, healthcare, cars, housing. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Go ahead, Archie. <laughs> Uh, actually, I would just contend that uh, at the dawn of the information age, education should be pretty much dirt cheap, if not virtually free. And so the fact that it costs, you know, 50 grand, 60 grand for, you know, a year of college is absolutely insane. I mean, obviously, professor's time is worth something. Uh, but if, if, uh, if our education were structured, in a truly free market manner, 
it would be more than taking advantage of the fact that we are literally sitting on the world's largest library ever built. I mean, look at the three of us just chit-chatting at whatever distance on a, you know, random weekday night. And uh, this is... This is ubiquitous. I mean, this is something that we can take for granted because the internet is at this level now. Yeah, I education is an excellent point because it's one of those things that just hasn't... It's one of those things you have to assume somebody would have wikipedia the heck out of education. If, if Wikipedia yeah. were allowed to educate, I mean, then there's like, so much tape in the way of them from legally saying we gave this person an education. You got to imagine the internet would have just replaced it, right? I, I used to well, be that and Sorry, go ahead. Khan Academy. And right. uh, I mean, there's tons of great material on YouTube channels where they're just dedicated to uh, totally nerding out with science, uh, Veritasium and Vsauce and PBS space time and, you know, just so many more. I used to be an adjunct professor uh, at the community college around here. I taught online. So, I mean, I taught online. Uh, I was paid about $2,000 for my entire time that was there. I had 25 students that were probably paying in the neighborhood of around $600 a piece to attend my class. You can kind of do the math on that. <laughs> And the textbook wasn't the brand new textbook that we needed. It was just the generic stuff that they push out the door and say, here's how, here's what business is about. Yeah. I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got education experience. I, I can't do much about the education thing. I think to bring this back to inflation though, it's just one of those things that we would consider you would make, if inflation weren't so bad, people would be able to afford better education, more education. You just look at what you have and say, what's one of the things that fell off when we weren't a, when our wages weren't able to keep up with the prices? Yeah, we stuck more people in the same house. Yes, we worked longer hours. Yes, we, you know, we did all these other things, but just what's one of the fan what's one of the what's one of the things that fell off? Hello, Desiree. Cody John's fangirl. I appreciate you. <laughs> um, is that it's just one of those things that, that you just say what fell off and the rich people, of course, can keep going to these higher businesses. But, you know, and not everybody has the option just pulling out of public school. You know, you look at what babysitting costs are. And man, I, I always feel so bad having worked in the restaurants, these servers that would have to hire a sitter which is like I'm paying my sitter 80 bucks. And if I don't make 80 bucks at the restaurant tonight, I come out at a loss. And I'm just like, man, like I, I, my heart goes out to her because like, man, like I would need to make not only the 80 bucks back, but like another 80 bucks for me to make, make it feel like I actually worked in like a valid way. And it's just, and so these people don't like you, you don't have the option of pulling out of your kids and, you know, pulling out of your kids out of school and sending them wherever you want and doing whatever you want. You know, that's kind of a, a luxury problem to be, to have a parent that can stay home and educate and everything like that. And it's not everybody's in that situation. And the thing is we'd like to blame, I, I do not like this. We blame people a lot to say, you need to work harder. You need to do this. You need to do that. Yes. There are some people that need to work hard. Okay. Like, 
I get that. There might be some people that need to work hard, but it's very unfair to look at this economy. I don't think it, it's kind of one of those, like you have to pull the plank out of your own eye before you remove the splinter out of someone else's. We absolutely have to get rid of every obstacle in their way of making their family function as best as it possibly can before we can be comfortably institute any blame on somebody else. I am absolutely not comfortable saying somebody's lucky until we remove those obstacles entirely. It just seems, it seems very judgmental to me. Oh, absolutely. We should definitely be, um, I mean, right now we don't have a free market. We should definitely be, uh, eliminating barriers to competition and allowing people to enter easily. And then you'll see, you know, an increase in supply and that'll lower prices until equilibrium. And it'll also, you know, if we stop favoring corporations, we're not paying taxes to subsidize them. So that's another addition. It's it's like you pointed out with inflation that it's not just a rise in prices, but oh look, now we have to work more hours for the same stuff to just tread water. You know, inflation comes in many different forms, and it's all based on the simple fact that you know you can't squeeze blood out of a rock. So what's the, let, let me, let me, let me give you some uh, guided questions here for the both of you, then I'll see how you feel about them. Is there ever then any moral way of the fed doing inflation? Is there a responsible way of doing it? And if so, what would that look like? Uh, Either one of you, <laughs> I, I intend for you both I, to answer, but I, I kind of can make the moral argument, but of course it's, very tough to manage. Um, we are the world's reserve currency. Um, yes, it's a fiat currency, but that's just the reality. Uh, if it gets, a, there's nothing that's really going to step up and replace us right now. Uh, we can doom and gloom that, but there is a way to do it. But you got to do it slowly. It's the it's the you know frog in the pot. You slowly turn up the water because wages always follow prices it isn't prices following wages it's always the other way so yeah you're gonna take it kind of here if with this big dump um you're gonna get a lot of people are gonna get shell-shocked and i i really think that we're gonna see a very big homeless issue uh coming up here when the eviction moratoriums are are fully lifted and, and things start getting through court that being said there is a way to do it we have to have smart people that do it, that aren't corrupted by their own friends, family, politics, things like that. Um, that doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, you can increase the money supply, but you got to increase demand at the same exact time, and you can't. Archie, any moral way of doing inflation? This this may shock various viewers of this podcast. Uh, I am totally an end of the Fed kind of guy. Um, I believe that uh, in essence, uh, it, it, it's it's based on fraud, and even slow fraud is still, you know, fraud. And if I could just buy fiat, pun intended, write my own uh, constitutional amendment to separate money and state, as in they can no longer print money, I would do that in a nanosecond. But you don't want to buy a Fiat because the electrical wiring is terrible. <laughs> no, I, I'm a Subaru guy. 
<laughs> oh, then yeah, that's that's a different <laughs> argument. We'll talk about that. Tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I, I think and and Archie, I was going to go. I was actually about to make the radical point as well. I think the biggest problem here is that it. I don't. I think it. Everything they do would be moral so long as they were allowed competition. But if you have workers, you have to pay them in U.S. dollars, and unfortunately now you are subject to how these people manage those dollars. You cannot elect to pay them in a different way. You can pay them a minimum and then have the extra paid in like, uh, I've seen some NFL contracts pieces start, started getting paid in Bitcoin, you know, whereas they say, you know, oh, I'll take my minimum in this and I'll take uh, Bitcoin as well for the rest, you know, but you're still required to have that baseline of this dollar. Um, we've had interviews on the podcast before with groups that have struggled and they want to help the homeless out and they want to teach them how to pay bills. And so what they did is they said, well, what we're going to have them do is have them live here and we'll pay their rent and we'll take care of everything. And they work the kitchen. And then we slowly break them into, Hey, here's how the finances work there. Here's how, you know, Hey, I'm going to have you start paying your rent this month. Is that okay? These things get shut down because you're not allowed to technically have somebody work and then not pay them. Even if you pay them in the form of all their food, rent, clothing, training, everything is free, you know? And so because of that, it pits this requirement. I think the problem that, you know, with the Fed is is the fact that it is the required standard that we have to go off of. We're not permitted to, to explore other options. So when they mismanagement manage it through inflation, therefore it becomes very unethical because I was required to use a mismanaged currency, at least to some degree, you know? I'm going to go right. The, uh, go ahead. the, uh, it was FDR, wasn't it? That, uh, actually confiscated gold. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And kind of made it illegal to physically own gold. Um, yeah, that went well. <laughs> I, I'm going to go full lefty on you guys. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I'm going to go full lefty. I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, I want to just kind of rewind this on, on fiat currency and things like that. And there are benefits to it um, okay. as, as now that everybody is looking me up in order to burn down my house. Um, the, the reality, though, is that it does give a common value. And yes, that value gets all screwed for everybody at the same time, but it's still a common value. Uh, if I want to go buy an iPhone, I don't have to trade 27 palm trees three calendars and a rack of lamb to, to get that phone. I, I know it costs this amount of money. I know my work is worth this amount of money and I know I can buy it and do that. Um, are there digital currencies and things like that you can do? Absolutely. Uh, do I think they're in their complete infancy? Of course. Are the feds scared of it? Definitely. Um, so is every other country uh, that has their own monetary policy. Um, but the reality is, is that, nobody kind of wants to upset the apple cart. We can point out how corrupt it is. We can point out how terrible it is, but the alternatives aren't there. Um, when when Doge, Dogecoin, Bitcoin, all the others get to the point where I can do transfers that don't require a PhD in astrophysics to really understand the details of what's going on, then it'll become more popular. When something better comes along, it will replace what's worse. The cell phone replaced the landline. Streaming replaced cable. D digital coinage will eventually replace money. Um, the, and the governments will lose that control. It's not going to happen right away. 
And as you see in the wild swings of Bitcoin and things like that, imagine having your house, your savings all locked up. You think you're making, <laughs> you think you're um, making a certain amount of money and you can afford something. And oh, by the way, someone just dumped a bunch of Bitcoin on the market and panic sell it all tanked. So it's pretty volatile still. And and with that in mind, fiat currency being held up by government doesn't look too terrible. It's the least worst option that's can be mass marketed to everybody right now at this moment. And it has been for, for you know, millennia at this point. I I, I, so one of my one of my he's really hard to read, but Ludwig von Mises is probably the number one go to person as far as monetary supply theory. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just like any ask any economist left or right. He's just put the most work into it just historically. Right. And, and I'm not trying to hype up him or his institute or his caucus or any of that. This yeah. is just purely about him. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is like he even made a, as you said, Brian, like a decent pitch about fiat currency, about loans, about how it's like, look, it's okay to make a, like, here's how a loan works when you don't have the money in the system and here's how it comes back. There's a lot to talk about there, especially because, he, he, so here's, here's a Mises thing is it's okay to have this short supply and, and, and inflation, I guess, so to speak, so long as your product grows at the same rate or a greater rate, right. and then you're going to be okay. So one of the issues is without that responsibility, I don't even want to blame the fed entirely because the issue here, um, I, I, oh my gosh, I had it written down. I think it's 213 times in the last 10 years that Congress has signed something that forces the fed to do something because, or they're supposed to be independent, right? Like the fed is, it's funny because the fed only exists because Congress created them. They have a mandatory monopoly because of Congress. And then Congress, whenever they need them to do something, will sign a law forcing them to do something. Um, this is so it's not exactly as independent as people would like it is technically independent but that is very put that in parentheses put put that in a heavy amount of parentheses yeah that's is right. how many goldman sachs employees have we had as fed, fed chairman in the last year <laughs> right. how many right i mean it's it is very much um yeah it's it's independent like the supreme court is independent or like uh yeah it, it's just it, it, it it's a way of saying it's not it looks like it because it has to be because otherwise we'd be insolvent but it's very transparently not um and so the problem is is they don't have this incentive that you mentioned like fiat's not a bad idea even guys like you know, like I said, Mises can make a libertarian argument for having a fiat currency. I might, it's not my ideal, I'll be honest, but I understand that like Mises was a smart dude, probably a lot smarter than me. I only know what I know because I know him, but I also have seen other systems where I was like, I kind of like, like the free banking system a lot better and like, you know, things like that, which every system has its own flaws. If there's one perfect one, I think, I think this would be a lot easier of a discussion. I'm, I'm big on, multiple economic theories this is why I don't like the monopoly on it. I think everybody should be allowed to, you know, choose what currencies they want and the best managed ones 
are the ones that get used as well as not just best managed, but like what Brian, like what you said, like it, if it's a fiat currency, sure, but it's well, it's well, it performs well and it's done the right way, right. I guess. And has a huge amount of, I guess, transparent accountability or like the big two, right? Right now there's nothing the Fed is accountable for. Believe me, the chairman of the Fed is doing fine financially. And if this country starts tanking, he's not going to be the first one sinking, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I'll just point out one more thing here, Archie, and I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the number two currency on the in this world is the yuan from China. Why is that not being talked about as being a replacement reserve currency? Nobody trusts it. It's also pegged to the dollar. So, and that's dictated by the Chinese bank. So it, if yuan is tied to the dollar and nobody trusts it, is anyone going to use it? So, Archie, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. Um, I'll uh, stick to uh, silver, gold, and Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't trust fiat because I don't trust the people that are behind it. Uh, I would actually be interested in uh, Hody um, giving me a reference to where Mises talks about fiat from a libertarian perspective, but I just, right now, we have um, virtually all of Congress, in my opinion, should be locked up. I mean, Randy? they are such they are such scammers and liars and cheaters, and have scammed and lied and cheated. And who holds ultimately in per per the Constitution the power and authority over war? Congress. I mean, yes, the president could bring the troops back with one stroke of the pen, but Congress itself has totally abdicated its war power, and that's why we're over there for decades. It's absolutely absurd. So I don't trust any of them. My my sources are, I read this book, and I wish I could point to you the exact point in the book, <laughs> but it's... it's um, uh, I, I, you know what? I'm I'm gonna frantically look this up while I while while I host this podcast. But <laughs> give me a second on that. You one. can you can you can get me after the podcast if you need to. Sure. Well, I'm sure. I mean, listeners might be interested as well. I mean, we are talking about you know we are talking about inflation, which has a, a I mean everything to do with monetary supply theory. How much money sh- is the right amount of money to be in the system if we are using dollars? If we are using a fiat type of currency. Archie, you're not wrong either. Like I said, like, I think it's funny because I think there's three people here and we probably, it sounds like we have three different ideals. We have a fiat, a uh, hardback, like gold or, uh, you know, spy, and we probably have a a product base. Oh, the theory of money and credit is the name of the book. There you go. Um, And so we have three different points of view as far as like what our ideal is. But the thing is, I think that's a great thing because I think it's something that we should all be able to try out. It's just, we don't have the opportunity to try it out. Brian's way is the one that's actually being implemented, but it's done by people who are doing it in a irresponsible, terrible, non-free market way. Archie, we uh, we had your way for a little bit there, kind of, but then we just started borrowing against it. And then we're like, what if anybody tries to collect on this gold? We'd be in a lot of trouble. Okay, forget the forget the gold thing. Forget the gold thing. 
Um, and then of course, you know, mine's kind of more the free banking system, which mine is probably the most obscure of all of them. You probably like, there's like moments in Scotland and I point to like, well, look what the Celts were doing in the 1600s for 30 years that seemed to work out well, you know, it's, it's, it, and the thing is, is I, I think a combination of all these would work. I think one of my, if I were to uh, have, have a brief discussion with fellow libertarians for a moment, I think we oftentimes talk about, hey, we'll be in a free market system afterwards, and then afterwards this one is going to win. I don't know if that's accurate. I think a lot of the times, like, I don't think McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's is going to put each other out of business anytime soon. If anything, I think they kind of spur each other on. And I think kind of the same thing with currencies is I think there's something that you want out of your currency. Brian's would probably be the most um, flexible as far as managing a futures market. Uh, Archie's would be the most responsible as far as having a hard line. We can't abuse this system. Mine would have a lot of, hey, it grows so long as the economy is growing and that's that. And I think that a lot of, and I think they offer different advantages. Just like when you go to McDonald's, you maybe like the fries the best there. When you go to Wendy's, you say, you know, it really keeps me coming back here is this. I think a lot of times we say like, well, you know, in my idea of capitalism, I think communism wouldn't exist. And I'm like, well, as long as there's people who love living on communi- communes, I think communes actually will exist like in a total free do what you will type of society. I just, it's not for me, but you know, like I'm not going to, if nobody's shutting you down and that's the lifestyle you want to live. I don't think, I think it's very like Marxist to say that there's a single consensus that we're trying to build upon, right. That we're building towards that. We're all coming to this same conclusion that this one type of way to manage currency is the best, or this one type of economy is the best for all people, as opposed to saying there's kind of multiple economies and multiple currencies and you get to choose your own. It's an overwhelming amount of choice. And I think people are conditioned to think that they make bad choices. And if you look at my dating history, you may be inclined to agree, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I think when we, but I have to handle the responsibility for my dating history. And I finally found somebody great. And I think it's the same with economies. You try a little, you'd say, ah, that's not for me. That's not for me. And you find one that's, that works out well. I just, I like the idea that we can experiment. I don't want to point to a single libertarian. I guess this is where I'm going with this long rambling poem of a point is that we have, we'd like to say, here's the answer when in reality, there's probably a hundred answers and you get to kind of choose your favorite. Right. I'm totally down for a a free market of ideas manifested across, um, both economic and social axes. I think that uh, if one person tries to plan a hundred million lives, you're going to have a hundred million unhappy people. And if each person is allowed the freedom of choice to live their own life, you're going to see, you know, a, a, a whole spectrum of choice and consensus and a whole spectrum of solutions that, you know, some are gonna be radical, some are gonna be more conservative, some are gonna be somewhere in between. And and, I mean, all these have good points to them. They also have some very terrible ones. Uh, Just like Ron just said, give them a billion dollars and we'll make everyone millionaires. We'll go full Venezuela. 
Um, <laughs> you know, everyone's a millionaire in Venezuela. Well, yeah, because you need a million dollars to buy a loaf of bread or a million boulevards, sorry. Um, of course, you know, the, the gold thing, I, 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 I'm sorry, and I'm not trying to, to pick on it, Archie. Uh, we are in the uh, infancy of space travel. So if I go find an asteroid that's filled with uh, gold uh, and I dump that in the market, guess what? That That's going to kill that market, just like what we saw with Dogecoin, Bitcoin, things like that. People want know that something has value. Um, and the problem is we live in such a such a we are trading six camels for your daughter you know that we're, we're not in this very limited scope of of commerce anymore you can buy and sell anything and libertarians we love to buy and sell anything um but the reality is is that there's got to be some sort of constant that we can assign value to um it's it's not the greatest i'll be the first to admit it but it's what we have right now uh, until something, as you said, something better comes along. And that's what libertarians should keep pushing for. I would contend that if we have an economy that allows for us to mine asteroids, we're going to be much better off regardless of what we're using for currency. So it will be more of a moot point. Have you ever seen the expanse? Belters' lives are pretty miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen lots of different sci-fi, so what do you want to talk? <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that on another episode. We'll take that, we'll take that on, on your own time, yeah. I think libertarians, we kind of dream of sci-fi all day, don't we? What would we be without a government? What would we be without these politicians? We'd be in this space age of awesome. Um, or we just yeah. have mangle Cylons everywhere. So. Yes, right. Or, or big <laughs> problems, you know. I think that you know one of the things that always gets me is the hype. The, the uh, it's always the hypothetical of what the free market would do without without politicians or without government. Like they're actively stopping these things from these you know these terrible things from happening. And there and there's plenty of these bioshock like games that are just like oh you know you're gonna end up mind controlling yourselves and everybody's got this i'm like man what was the incentive here like what is the what what is happening with these hypotheticals and it's not to dismiss every hypothetical so um i think so when um of banks that are were of the free market they had 25% of the same of the amount of crises that normal banks did. So it's not that I dream in a utopia. It's just the way that it's handled and it is is a lot different. I'm not saying that a crisis can never happen. It's I mean, I don't I don't know, you know, diseases happen. We learned that this last year. Um and I guess there's some argument that maybe human beings could have controlled that, but the idea is that human beings aren't supposed to control these things, or you know, we have to we have to understand that maybe something like the Black Plague happens, and you know, it's going to throw things off, and there's no way the economy's going to come out, and everybody's looking better. Like if it, if we were in a perfect capitalism during the Black Plague, everybody'd be dancing on rainbows. No, like I understand, like problems still come up. I'm not trying to offer it you know, a utopian solution, but at least it's something like, I think it's funny that they have to throw all these dystopian things at us. And then it's like, well, your reality is that you starved a hundred million people to death in the last century. So maybe we, maybe you go ahead and dismiss, like, that's your reality. I'm cool with living in my fantasy and you kind of projecting on that, whatever you want. Maybe that's just me being jaded. 
Can we all agree that roads are bad? Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, we can all agree roads are bad, but we can't agree. I, I think we can all agree that they've been better in some cases and we're seeing better reaction. I remember growing up in the 70s, Arch, I don't know how old you are. Uh, I remember roads were even worse in some cases or non-existent. So it's getting better, but I'm not going <laughs> to defend government saying they're doing an awesome job. They're doing a terrible job hiring people for gut for ridiculous costs to do, you know, mediocre work. So. Well, I feel like uh, we've said what we want to say about inflation. Everybody uh, inflation is mostly bad and the rate at which it's going is you have a right to be scared I do want to warn against, again, the dystopianism. But, I mean, we've seen countries actually do a doomsday scenario with inflation before. So while I, do, while I did frequently warn against, like, constantly preaching doomsday, unlike kind of the global warming thing where New York is not actually underwater currently. Sorry about that prediction. But there are countries that have destroyed themselves with inflation before. So it is something to look out for. It's not a great thing. It's another thing that makes you proud to be a libertarian. So go ahead and embrace the subject. Um, we're going to take a brief break and we're going to be back here in just a moment, guys. Hang on and stick with us. I'll talk to you soon. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's the Peace of My Mind segment. I'm going to go ahead and start this off. It is June. This is our first podcast in the month of June. If you're listening to this far off in the future because this really took off and I'm a multimillionaire, it is June of 2021. Uh, and I got to say, I get so excited when it is Pride Month and I know that there's a lot of phony corporate love out there, right? I, I get it. You pretend to love them because it looks good for sales and then you don't take a stand you don't show up when they need you you'll you know you 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 might change your logo to a flag but you don't actually like want to comment about a bill that bans them from certain you know drugs that would help them transition or you don't want to ban you know or a bill that would help them adopt for goodness sake and have a family right like you want to stay quiet on that you just want the rainbow flag so that they buy your product i'm actually okay i'd rather somebody i'd rather somebody virtue signal than vice signal <laughs> right like at least they're not like like at least there's not like it's not like the white hood month like thank goodness like that would that would suck like at least they're feigning virtue but it, I, and i understand it's not perfect here's the thing guys do not get so jaded by the virtue signaling that you become a total stick in the mud during pride month my strong suggestion is this. Pride Month for me is always the month that I make the most libertarians. Flat out. I go to the parades. The libertarian message kills it during the parade. I mean, you just, you should, I, we get a booth here. You can get a booth either with your local political party if you have a local libertarian party, or you can just like get a booth. I mean, it's usually not expensive. They're eager for the donations. And just the message of saying, hey, listen, those guys over there, say you can't marry and adopt. These guys over here say, we'll give you permission to marry, marry and adopt. 
we over here say, why are you asking for permission to marry and adopt? Like that's like, we don't like that. I don't like you asking for permission to be with somebody that you love. Like that is, that is something that I consider abhorrent. And that message carries so well. And maybe it's just the way I sell it. I think everybody has a different selling point. I'm not expecting everybody's June to be as great as mine is. But I do get excited because it's the best, best month for me as far as evangelism. It's when I make the most recruits. I would not make that same amount of recruits if I spent the whole time being the well actually guy or the well this corporation doesn't really love you or, well, I don't think this parade was really great. Or I don't think, uh, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm cool with gay rights, but if you're like the, I'm cool with it, but guy, and you find yourself doing that more often than just saying I'm cool with it, your, your message is coming across and it's not the same message that you think it is. Like people see through that. Like when you're constantly commenting on posts on social media and saying, and it's constantly being like, Hey, I'm so excited for pride. Like I'm proud to be gay and being like, is pride really the right word for it? I mean, do you really need to be so all in my face about it? It's like, look, man, like that's, you know, that's not what it's about. Like we're proud that we've faced oppression and we're still who we are. Like these people are talking about one of the ultimate expressions of individualism. Almost everybody who's in this life has been affected either on a social, political level of discrimination, of hurtfulness, of bullying, and, and they want to express their individualism. I guess all, all I'm saying is for my peace of my mind segment, guys, is just embrace it. Just embrace June. Love it. Don't be the whatever guy. If you really need to be the actually guy, can you wait till July or August or something? This is your chance to build a bridge. And it doesn't help you your case at all if you're constantly saying like, well, slow down, everybody. Or is this the right place to build the bridge? Like, just build the damn bridge. All right. It's June. It's recognition for them. Let's not like constantly be the stick in the mud all throughout June, because they're going to remember that when it comes to July and August and the rest of the year. If somebody who you know who is worried about coming out of the closet, because people are still worried about it. People still cry. When they tell their parents they're coming out of the closet, they're still scared, right? There's still this fear when you say, you know, I'm trans and I don't know, like, I don't know what the drugs to get to the surgery to get. I'm scared. We need to be accommodating of them. We need to be loving of that and respectful of that. And I just, I wish that more people would kind of understand the way they undermine their point when they just are constantly saying, but, but you know, is the rainbow flag really cool? Like, it, are, are you kind of all up in my face about it? I don't know. I've seen a lot of it and I'm just kind of, it's from people that I do respect, but I just think ultimately on this month, guys, just, just be cool. <laughs> just be cool. Your guys thoughts on that one. I don't think freedom should have any caveats or buts or addendums or, or what ifs. I mean, obviously philosophy is one thing, but freedom you know, real human freedom isn't philosophy. It's actual human beings living their lives. And if you tread on someone's rights, what the hell kind of libertarian are you? I mean, <laughs> I a hundred percent agree. I don't think we have to, how can I phrase this? I don't think we have to necessarily embrace each other's 
choices so much as we should be embracing each other's right to everyone having their own conscience. I, I think that trying to micromanage someone else's life that you don't agree with is one of the most unlibertarian things that you can do. Brian. Um, I used to be a fence sitter. Uh, wait a minute. Hold on here. Um, I, I'm no, I, I blew through that several years ago with gay marriage and things like that. I am hundred percent on board. Live your life wherever, however you want to live it. Um, I, I can sit there and go, I don't agree with it. You know, I'm sorry. Um, you know, if you want to marry 12 head of cattle, that's your choice. I think there's probably maybe an issue there. You know, they can't consent. So, um, but, that, you know, as a, getting back to Archie's point, yeah, the, the libertarian perspective is, you know, being in a consensual relationship with who, someone who can consent. Uh, I think we all think that, you know, the, the guy that's 70 years old marrying a 12-year-old is probably a terrible idea. Um, but, I, you know, we do have to wrap a, a couple little rules around it. Um, I'm of the opinion, live your life. Um, you know, I don't sit there and do public displays of affection with my wife. That's my choice. Uh, I ask my kids not to do it because, honestly, I don't want to see them sucking face. Um, but that's just my choice, my house. <laughs> you want to go suck face, go, go, go do whatever. Um, but really, yeah, I, I think Archie, we're on the same point just all right, cool. Hody, I'll, I'll, I, I won't make any comments to July, but I don't think any of my comments I'd make would be terrible. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I feel like even kind of, I think it's something that right libertarians just kind of need to let go. You accept that these are people making different choices, maybe choices yeah. that you wouldn't make. Like you said, it's just, it's saying, I, I like Archie, what you said about having it to be about every, celebrating someone's individual conscience to say that this is what I find. Like I have found this to be the right thing for me. This is the right move for my life. I don't love the fact that they're called like, I don't even like calling them alternative lifestyles. Cause for me, an alternative lifestyle is marrying somebody you don't love. Like is, is, you know, or, or giving into peer pressure and being in a relationship that way is that's an alternative, right? Like that's something that's not normal. And I think we should absolutely normalize it. Guys, people being themselves is not cultural Marxism. If you see the rainbow flag and you start getting scared of Marxists, like you need to have a serious talk with yourself about where the real boogeyman is. Uh, this is a, these people are your friends. They are not your foes. They are easily open to the libertarian point. I'm just telling you that. And I'm not talking like, okay, they'll be cool about gay marriage, but then they want, you know, welfare and communism and big government. No, like, believe me, they get it. They, they want the police off your backs. They want the politicians off their backs. They, they, they have a history of government preventing them from having families, both uh, through, I mean, kids through adoption and marrying their loved ones, uh, not letting them, I mean, healthcare, you're not allowed to have certain rights in the hospital. Um, of discriminating against their diseases. I mean, these people are very, they are very open to the libertarian mindset if you're willing to explain it to them the right way. If you just see them all and say they're cultural Marxist, they can't change, you're wrong and you're the one that needs to change. All right, uh, Brian, why don't you give us a piece of your mind, buddy? Okay. Um, I had a couple different ones here and now I'm just kind of uh, wavering between the two. Um, 
We might have time for two. Go ahead cue, and start on Cue the, the Jeopardy music. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it, it really is the one that I'll, I'll go with the, my, my job is in sales. Um, and I'm going to channel Brian Nichols here, I think. Um, the one thing that I hope that you talked about and things like that is the way that we sell libertarianism. And it sounds terrible and it sounds like, oh, great, we have a quota now. And if you don't make quota, then, you know, second place gets a knife, set third set, third place, you get kicked out of the LP. There's so many things that we can sell as far as a liberty perspective to non libertarians, to people that will never be libertarians. Um, and, and there's so many things that it's tough to sell because we see it as we have this liberty mindset. We have to, you know, everything is liberty. Everything is liberty. Well, unfortunately, it's not. And, and we live in the times now. So I'm, I'm a real pragmatist on this. But there are a lot of things that, Lahodi, like you just said, gay rights, absolutely a great libertarian position, a position that I as a kid never thought would be where we are today, just like with marijuana all these positions that libertarians have led with since the 70s that now are commonplace that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. We're starting to get places at other places too. School choice term limits are very popular across the board. Now, you're never going to see those two options appear on a ballot unless somebody forces it, just like they did marijuana legalization, just like what ended up happening eventually with gay marriage. We as the population have to force government to do this. And, and that's the position that I think we can really sell Liberty with our, our, our both not only school choice, uh, not only with the ability to um, be able to, you know, marry, do anything else you want like that, that those positions are so important and so well loved in term limits that people will jump on board. They'll jump on board for that one. Now, now we can't get them on the rest. They're going to want to give free, you know, free eye exams to dogs that are between the ages of 12 and 17 on alternate Thursdays and have it run by the government. But if we can get them on one or two things, that's the, that's the first step. And that's what I ask libertarians to do is, you know, throw the Mises books, put, put, them, put them down, put them down. You know, they're heavy. So, so you know, that, that you don't have to carry them around all day. But find that person like Cody's talking about. And that, that you, that's interested in liberty. And just talk to them about one position that you know that they're going to be interested in. And I bet you that's going to open their mind because there are so many people that are vote blue no matter who, red until I'm dead. If you can just shake them just a little, just a little, that's going to open a lot of doors. Um, I mean, I got so I got a story about that, and it's kind of one of the things that I am an anarchist, but it's something that puts me at odds with other anarchists. And it's that. I am, I'm down with the slow, right? Like if this is how we get closer to it, I understand we live in a society where the government is growing, 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 but that doesn't mean we can take something or grab something away. It doesn't mean that they should just continue to grow, grow, grow without me checking them because they wouldn't give me my way. Something that we had here, something that I was a part of, something I'm proud of in my life was getting de-escalation training for the Salt Lake City police officers. I got a ton of, I mean, you all are shaking your head, so maybe you even saw this, but I got a ton of backlash for this because it was like, what, you're working with the police officers? And it's like, yeah, I was. You got to meet with the police chief. You got to meet with cops. You got to meet people who are in a line of duty who I consider to be in an, in an immoral line of duty. I get that, right? Like, I understand all of that. But here's the thing. 
not only were like cops getting killed, but like victims were getting killed. Salt Lake City had a huge problem. I just looked this up and I don't know, like I haven't searched in a whole bunch because Brian, I didn't know it was going to be your thing, but we went from somebody who was, we went from a city that hasn't killed anybody since this past. Um, and it wasn't a law. It was actually, and this is kind of my point is we had to work with the department on this, but when they started instituting de-escalation, they actually haven't killed anybody since 2015. This article I'm reading is actually in 2017. So we, you know, theoretically somebody could have died since then. But we were a problematic city. We were actually like top five as far as people getting killed. We had a serious problem. And it wasn't just for the victims, it was for the police. And yes, the police were like, what's in it for me when we came to the table? So they didn't want to hear you could save all these victims. They wanted to hear how it could save all these cops. So yeah, I had to talk about it in terms that was like, listen, you can live more. And then I, you know, of course that kicked the anthill and made a whole bunch of people mad and it is what it is but here's the thing is it saved lives and yes some of those lives were cops some of those lives were victims but all of it saved lives and it's a better way to do things and uh, like it's just it's a small win and i understand collapsitarians maybe you just want the apocalypse to come sooner and this is the innocent blood that you're willing to spill or something like that or you know if you just say i want it all or nothing like i i get it like Brian said, Liberty, Liberty. Like it's, that's what it is for me all the time too. Believe me, if they all thought the same thing and I was like, if I thought I could convince them to put away their guns and lock them up and walk out the door and just be done, we'd do it. You know? <laughs> like have just a voluntary, you know, police force or contracted police force or something that the taxpayers are, you know, not taxes, but if people just purchase private security, that would be fantastic. But that's not what we have. So, sorry, go ahead, Brian. It's your subject. That's all I have to say. I'm just saying we had a win. I took a win. Deal with it. Private security is terrible. Um, I've seen it in South Africa. I went there and two weeks does not make you an expert. I've seen what it does. Guess who gets the best private security? The rich. Guess who gets the shit private security or none? Yeah. So it's what you did, Hody, is fabulous. And that, that's what we should be pushing uh, is to working together, which I know there are a lot of people, after police, stuff like that. That's not going to solve anything. It's just going to make things worse. And if that's what you want, go for it. But not going to fix the problem. If, if, only, if all you want is a problem. If you want a continuous problem, you know, well, continue. So, I mean, still left the police, but hate the sin, love the sinner, right? Like, anyway. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I've said, you know what? I think the, the private police thing might be a good debate for a different time. Let's do that. It later. sounds like you and I, but I will, uh, I don't, I won't hog the rest of this podcast with that. Archie, your thoughts on slow versus fast. Uh, slow versus fast. Um, in terms of the necessary change that I believe if, if we don't make the changes, we're, we're just going to go off the rails. Uh, I, I think it's somewhere between incrementalist and absolute radical tear it all down. I think we have to do a series of pretty large jumps. I think we have to do it within a decade to maybe 15 years. I think that United States society right now is actually very plastic and very energetic. And what I mean by that is we are 
we are ready for change and we are primed for change. And if we look at, so I haven't seen a 2020 version of the map, but there's a 2016 version of, of the presidential election where it says something to the effect of, if none of the above had been, you know, a, an actual candidate, and it's it's an absolute landslide. There's just a handful of, of states that went to either red or blue, and that shows that we're ready for change and that, you know, Americans want something of substance to change. And I think that in terms of messaging, we really need to follow uh, Spike Cohen's lead on that, that, you know, he says, meet the voters where they are. You know, don't don't try to sell them the Mises textbooks. Don't try to say, hey, here's my favorite Hayek quote and why you should tattoo it on your forehead. Um, you know, but that's me, so cool. You have to have a, a forehead. I mean, come on here. Look at this. I got space. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, meet them where they are actually listen to what they have to say. I mean, there's there's something you don't hear in politics. Listen to the voters and uh, show them that we care. You know, before you show them that we have a solution, which we do, because, you know, we've thought about the solutions for every single problem that's hitting society right now. But before we show them the solution, show them that we actually give a damn about their life and their problems because then they'll be like oh this is something that we've never seen in politics someone who actually cares about us it's yeah i i i understand i agree with that like i think it's a good mix of being radical and being not i think we do miss out an opportunity when voters are kind of thinking radical and we I think we water it down before we get there. It's kind of like the, do they compromise us with us or do we compromise with them first? You know? And, and I think that there's, there is something to that. I don't know. There's a little bit, I guess for me, it's a, it's a struggle between the messaging and like what is actually feasible. Like with the cops, I kind of had to work with government officials. It's not really like I get to message to everybody and try to pass a bill. You know what I mean? It, it's, so I I, th- I don't know. It's very circumstantial. It's very person to person. I feel like this is something that goes like very individually. But as far as like grand sweeping change, man, it, it's a tough one. Because is it moral to like spray paint FTP on your local police, uh, you know, building? Probably. But like, does it change anything? I don't know. Brian, this is this is your thoughts. So I'll give you the last word on this one. Then we'll turn it over to Archie's peace of mind. But go ahead and close us. I just, I, the, the whole thing is this, that people want conflict. It's just the nature of us. And we can say we're all peace loving people. People want conflict. There are things that we agree upon that gets back to. Yeah. And, and I get that. I get that. Are you having conflict to be, to be right or have the right? <laughs> That's the question. Is it, is it, you want to be right or you want the right thing done. Now you can say, well, I know I'm right and that's the right thing to be done, but that's not always the case. There's a lot of things that in my life that I've looked at where I was convinced I was right, but looking back at it, when you get a wider view, it wasn't the right thing that needed to be done. So that's the one thing that I just look at this when you're spray painting a public park with FTP, which I saw after the riots, it was hilarious. 
and, and they were spelling it out. And I'm going, that's a park bench that kids are going to sit on. They're spray painting, you know, all the, all the freaking, uh, you know, slides and stuff. And with COVID, you know, it's kind of weird, but it, it's like, what, what message are you trying to get across? Are you trying to get across your rage or are you trying to get across we're here and, you know, we're just here everywhere. And who's your audience? I mean, are you really trying to influence the, uh, the kids on the swing set? Dad, yeah. Leave the police meeting. Uh, you know, it's just, it, and it, who does it tick off? The people that blockade the roads in the name of global warming. Who does it, who does it, who does, whose minds get changed? No one. I still love the video of the guy grabbing the banner, throwing it, and then kicking her cell phone, spinning around across the street because all these people had to go to work. So if you want conflict, great, go for it. There's plenty of people that want it out there with you. But we we can find different ways, better ways, I think, in some cases. Archie, piece of your mind, buddy. Yeah, so like Brian, I had a, I had a few different topics that I was contemplating bringing up. And I settled on this one because it's it's near and dear to what vexes me the most in these last few months. And that is, we are literally sitting on a platform, you know, not just this podcast, but the internet as a whole, where we can digitally reproduce exact wording. And we have a phenomenal amount of miscommunication. And it's it's just so ironic that, I mean, I've spent a lot of time on Twitter lately. And Twitter is, let's just, uh, let's just leave it at this. Twitter can be a toxic dumpster fire. And that's a good day. <laughs> it's it's uh, a fascinating thing to think about when you pull back and objectively look at what's going on. In the middle of it, it's not necessarily so fun, but when you're when you're thinking about the day's events and how a joke that you made gets misconstrued, a harmless dad joke gets misconstrued because people misread your intent as a bad person in in their eyes, but you're just being you. You know, it's it's a really weird phenomenon to think about that. With just text, we're missing tone, you're missing facial expression, you know, you're nodding right now, you're, you're grinning right now, you know, these kind of things get missed, tone gets missed. One of my favorite sentences with regards to explaining tone of voice is, this sentence has a, a different meaning depending on which word you emphasize. I never said she took my money. I never said she took my money. I never said she took my money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in, in plain text in, and in less than 240 characters, you can't really emphasize tone anywhere near what we're doing right now, just, just the natural back and forth. So that gets dropped. Um, we're We're mostly anonymous to each other. I mean, unless you have a built-up account that has a reputation behind it, um, all of these people are anonymous to each other. 
they're never going to actually physically meet. I mean, the lizard brain part of us, if we were physically present, we would have a visceral understanding that if we piss off the people we're talking to, we could get punched in the teeth. You know, that brings a certain level of, if not respect, then circumspectness. You know, maybe not maybe not an actual positive feeling towards the people we're talking with, but definitely at least a positive attitude towards showing a baseline of respect that just isn't there on social media. When, when you have text only, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and when you have, you know, people that you're never going to interact with, and that have no reputation possible to lose by saying whatever they're going to say, the inner troll comes out of so many people. And, and it's, it's a crying shame that a communication tool that humanity could only dream of a couple decades ago is now basically helping to tear society apart. The rules of communication are totally out the window on social media, it feels like. There's just a disjunct. And like, I mean, Archie, what you said is on point. I can, I think best I can do is just reinforce what you already said, is that there's these things you would never say to somebody in person. You would never say it. If somebody said, I really like George Washington, would you automatically assume that they love slavery? That is something you would only ever assume on yeah. social media ever like that is the only time you would ever assume it is if you're really far away from them and they can't punch you in the teeth and you're just trying to be a contrarian and trying to be a jerk or whatever now and and like there's certain things you say just because you've got this they call it anonymity but even for those who aren't anonymous you start to play by like this the, it's a game you know you don't talk like how you would normally talk to somebody or like like you said there's a certain amount of respect that's afforded to somebody a benefit of the doubt even to just say like, Hey, when you said that you really like George Washington, like, did you know about like the slaves and like him using like the teeth of slaves for like, you know, like thing, things like that, that like, and, and that, and they can specify and be like, Oh yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, obviously that's not cool. I just really liked that he was willing to fight where he believed in or whatever you really liked about George Washington, you know? And it's, it's just something that, it is funny how it tears us apart because I find that, and, and it's really hot. Unfortunately, it's not something that if you are a genuine person, you can avoid. I think I would have a lot less problem with that. If I just be like, yeah, scumbags are out there and they're just scumbags. But unfortunately it bleeds over to people that are normal who are just like, Hey, look at my pottery and Oh, here's who I'm voting for next month. Cause you know, that's just the kind of person I am. Or, you know, I f I'm really excited about this. Oh, are you excited about this? I'll bet you're not excited about this. I mean, like, I have friends that are Democrats. And believe me, like, when all my libertarian friends jump on them about, like, like memes with, like, girls behind their heads and being like, this their legs behind their head and being like, this is how Kamala Harris got promoted. It's just like... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like, is that like, if you were like at a table with somebody at Thanksgiving, is that what you would say? Like, maybe you even really want to get that point across, but is that the best way? Like you have no lead up. You had no, like you, I, it's this 140 word limit and you're just like, or character limit. And you're just like, all right, I'm going to say like something notable. 
something that gets a lot of likes, something that gets a lot of shares, something that creates a lot of pizzazz and splash. And a lot of times that's something that's really controversial as well and not necessarily said in a way that like people people relate to. It, it is something, it is astounding. Like you said, Archie, it's something that that's just, it divides us even though it's a tool that really, really should be great at uniting us, but it is what it is. Brian, your thoughts on it? We're all on here talking. Three different people that have never met in, in person and we're all talking and agreeing. Um, is that unusual? Eh, maybe in some cases, but the one thing I look at it is that we are now in a better position with Liberty than we were 20 years ago. Uh, the Libertarian Party couldn't get 30 seconds on any broadcast at all whatsoever, couldn't get a half an inch in a newspaper, couldn't get a, a sneeze on anything. So my interest in the Liberty, Liberty, uh, Liberty and the Libertarian Party came through kind of social media and the internet and things like that. Are there going to be assholes? We're going to have them. We're going to have them no matter what. Are there problems with having no consequence for asshole behavior? Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it. Um, people have the right to do so. I think it's terrible, and I think it's society. Just like when everybody calls up somebody's work and says, you've got a homophobic racist that's working there, and you need to fire him because somebody said so on Twitter. Uh, I have no personal knowledge, but I'm outraged. And that person loses their job. I think that's terrible. Um it's legal liberty, whatever, yeah, it's, but but still terrible. We're in our infancy on this. We need another generation to really get under our legs underneath to, for the full, full outrage circus. Most of us uh, never grew up with this much communication. A lot of these kids are now growing up with too much communication. So I, I think we're going to get better. Um, I think we're going to get better in terrible ways. Uh, like the social credit system that's in China. You know, there's plenty of people who love that idea. Uh, I think we're going to get better in other ways of going around it. So um, it's still a work in progress. Um, if it was really terrible, we'd be in the middle of a civil war. So with some of the stuff people say. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I still think the jury's out. Archie, final words on that? Anything, anything that sparked your mind as we... As we talked about it, I know we kind of just reiterated a lot of what you said, but. I think Brian bringing up the uh, generational difference is an interesting point in that uh, politicians right now grew up before social media. You know, for the most part, politicians are um, kind of be like, 40, 50, 60, whatever. And their college years or their youth was not recorded. It wasn't recorded by them posting, hey, look, I did a thing, blah, 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 or recorded via cell phone, <laughs> you know, someone at a party saying, hey, look at this. This is hilarious. Except Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> You know, look at look at how drunk Bob got. You know, uh, you know that stuff isn't uh, isn't something they mostly have to worry about. Whereas uh, the generation that's about to become politicians has so much of their life in digital recordings, and they're fractured, and they're 
you know, I, I think of my own posts because I do run for office and I think of my own posts and how they could be misconstrued if you take them out of context. And, and I forget who did this. Um, it, it was some comedy sketch or something. And it's, uh, I forget how they framed it, but they would censor, they would take normal, normal sentences from people and just censor inappropriately to make it sound bad. Yeah. Yep. And it's, you know, I'm thinking myself, like, you know, okay, uh, I'm I'm looking at this person's post, and all I have is two posts to judge them by. How much can I really judge them? You know, when 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 if I objectively look at some of my own posts in the same kind of light and pull back from all the knowledge I have of my own inner knowledge and inner workings and so on, et cetera. I mean, how much can you really judge someone off of that? And I think those societal standards have to adjust. It just has to. Like, we we can't go forward with the same level of expectation when we have all these cameras, all these microphones recording slivers of our life that are otherwise out of context. I mean, it's it's just kind of crazy. It's a Monty Python skit all over. Burn the witch, burn the witch. That's, I swear, the, the simulation. Loaded. That was never five minutes. <laughs> yeah, there's a culture of outrage that I think we have that people, like, it's the only emotion kind of anymore is, like, to be angry at something. Like, bring this, like, I, let me point this out and let's be angry about it. And I wonder how much more effective it would be is like, hey, I just found somebody. So I'm going to share uh, an experience I had uh, with somebody in my inner circle. And they're like, they had a problem with the Texas bill, which we're going to have a show on that, by the way, that bans, um, bans uh, producers from making drugs from, that would transition a pubescent or prepubescent person from transitioning from male to female or female to male hormonally. And with that ban, they just kind of said, I don't understand. Why can't they just let the trans kids be gay instead? And yes, it's not, that's not the way being transgender works. And obviously I could dogpile this person to just like copy their face, cut, cut it out, crop a photo, put it up. I'm sure 800 people would ban this person, block them. They'd laugh at him, talk about the ignorance and everything like that. But this person clearly, like, it's an opportunity for education. And I'm talking with this person right now, and there's growth happening. They're not fully on board yet because, I mean, like anybody, I don't know how many people actually change their mind in an instant. I talk about this often. I, I kind of got to stew with something for a week or two. Like, even if somebody makes up a great point, I just got to be like, you know what? Hang on. I'm going I'm to go back. Like, did I do all the work here? Did I, did I try all my, all my sources check out? Okay. You know what? Fine. You were right. You know, but people don't change their mind in an instant. You know, you have these ideas, you have these reinforced beliefs and it takes time. The way your brain works. Uh, there's a great book called idiot brain. Highly recommend anybody listening to this that talks about how your brain, it's written by a journalist and it talks about how the brain works and it, we actually measure intelligence by how quickly you are able to recognize a pattern. So if you say, 
if I say one, two, three, and you say four, five, six, great, you're smart. If I say one, two, and you knew the next number was three, you're even smarter, right? Like the quicker you're able to make a judgment, the better off you are based on the minimum amount of information. This is how things get started. I, I think, I don't, I haven't talked about this on the show, but like how, you know, black customers get the reputation of being bad tippers is because you see a Seth MacFarlane joke about it. And then you have a black customer stiff you. That's two pieces of information. You now have a pattern and you say black people don't tip and you treat them like crap. And then they definitely don't tip because, and so now you're actually creating your own reality in that regard. And it's just how the brain works. And so what happens is he, he's brought up thinking that a transgender individual is just somebody who is gay, who is homosexual, right? That's, that's not what it means to be transgender, like, but, but he doesn't know that. And, he, and so far, all of his information is that these trans individuals are just gay people that want to change to match, you know, to, to switch genders instead of just being, you know, being gay like they are. And so it's just an opportunity to educate him. And I wish that there was more. And Brian, I, I mean, I'm kind of making Brian's point because, Brian, I know you're big on this subject is – talking to somebody instead of just outrage and crucifixion, right? Like there's, there's punishment other than public death and firing somebody. And like, there's ways, um, remember the girl in the dog park, how um, she was kind of canned from her job. And uh, the guy who was the victim in the situation, right? She called the cops on him and he's like, girl, I don't know what's going on. He was like, no, I don't want her to be fired. I want her to change. Like her being fired makes her angrier. And sure enough, like she's actually like suing. I, I forget if it's social media. She's suing or something to try and get her job back because she was released from her job. And so she's angry as opposed to changed. And our goal is to make changed people. There's just, I'm not saying that emotion that, I'm sorry. I'm not saying that outrage doesn't have a place, but there's other emotions. Outrage should be 1% of the time, 1% of the time that you see somebody say something stupid, maybe outrage is appropriate. But other than that, there's probably, there's gotta be a better way to go about it. I mean, especially if we want to create a world set free in our lifetime, I just don't see, I don't see outrage as a proper avenue for it. It's short lived. And it's very easy to manipulate. If you're angry all the time, I can make you, if I can make you angry all the time, I can make you do it, get angry about things I want you to be angry about. So I, that's the, that's the goal here. And that's what politicians love to do. And that's what MSNBC, CNN, Fox. I have seen more people so angry this, this past year because of the stress of COVID and Trump and not Trump and blah, 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 blah. Um, Outrage sells. Outrage makes people watch things, want to get more information, want to get that one, two, three, so they can be, aha, I'm ready. I know. I know Trump's evil. Or, aha, I know Biden's evil. Because can, can we all agree that they're probably both pretty terrible? <laughs> e evil might be, uh, you know, in some cases, yeah. In some cases, no. Um, but, yeah, can we both agree they're very terrible? Can we both agree that, you know, if none of the above, as Archie was pointing out, would win this country in a, in a presidential election. That that's the thing. So uh, the one thing I've been asking people to do, turn the damn TV off. You don't CNN stuff like that. You want to turn on the news. You really want spoon fed to you. Fine. Put on PBS, put on something, watch it for a half hour. 
get the highlights. And if you want to know more, go don't watch these people. So it's funny. I feel like every add. oh go Archie, this is your point. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would totally add that outrage uh, dovetails directly into uh, miscommunication with social media because I forget the name of the documentary. Um, it pointed out a phenomenally amazing point that literally every time you're logged into social media, there is a a supercomputer geared up with an algorithm designed to keep you active yep. on that platform. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way for it to do that is to find out which buttons to push for you to generate more outrage. So when you log into social media, you are pitting your brain against a supercomputer and it's, it's going to win if you're not conscious of how it uses tactics against you. That's uh, something I was watching like YouTube in the comments. It's funny because there's somebody who's like, man, the top comments on this are all people that I hate. And I just, I got to respond. And I'm like, well, that's weird. My, co my top comments aren't anything like that. And it's because I don't interact with those people. Like I'll interact with different people and they know that. So they sent, you know, what are, what comments are you most likely to react to? Even Facebook does this. Here's our most relevant comments, right? Like the ones that are most relevant to you. Those aren't the ones that are most relevant to everybody. Like they know, you know, they know the difference if you're looking for something to love or something to hate. And if you keep yourself in a hate cycle, it's just going to keep cycling like that. It's, it's something it, 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 it will affect you personally. I mean, the, the problem is, is it will make you turn everybody else into a very black and white thing. And this is why you might see, let's bring this thing full circle. This is why you might see the rainbow flag and say, that's Marxism. Of course, I already know that because I see these people with a flag and they're Marxists. You know what I mean? And that, and you've been reinforced that you get stuck in this cycle and that's all it is, you know, and libertarians, you're not immune to it either. Like you've got to be able to handle like legitimate criticisms and as well as find legitimate friends. And you have to, you have to look for an excuse to love because it is an unhealthy part of our brain, but it's a real part of our brain that looks for confrontation, you know? Like, like Brian said, and it's something that if you don't actively fight that part of your brain, that you're just going to actively or passively fight with everybody in your life. And you're going to find that that's the only reason you use social media is to argue with people. And it's not, it's not healthy and you don't grow as a person. You're just constantly fed. Here's the most, and you always get the most idiotic thing. Like I hated feminism until I understood that 98% of feminists aren't Andrea Dworkin. You know what I mean? Like they aren't, they, no, they aren't people that are like trying to harvest men for their sperm. Like, but I, why did I think that? Because I was inundated with it. Every time I'd search for it, you know, on Google, here's some crazy thing. Some feminist said everything on social media, here's a crazy thing. A feminist said, and it just reinforced a false reality to me. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't believe your senses. I do think there is some value in intelligence being linked to pattern recognition. I think we should recognize patterns and say like, hey, is this something we have to watch out for? But as soon as you make it like your perspective, everyone else's reality, that's when you kind of become detached from the world and you don't understand as much. Everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate you coming in. Ar Archie, I know you came in last second. I really appreciate it so that we can have a show today, buddy. Thank you so much. 
Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. You rock, man. You rock. Brian, obviously you're great. You already know you're great. Your greatness is nothing that, I mean, it might actually make it worse by me saying it because then you got to associate with me, but uh, (laughs) you're great, man. Thanks for for coming on. Listeners, I love you very much. If you're just listening to this, that does everything. Okay, here's the thing. I'm not going to, we're not doing a Patreon anymore. We're libertarians. We're doing something new. We're going on sponsorships. You, here's the way the sponsorship works. I get paid if you click and download this program anywhere. Download anywhere. I'm talking, so if you're listening to this on Spotify, click it on Twitter, YouTube, Stitcher, whatever podcast player you have. Every time it gets downloaded, I make crazy bank. So I'm just telling you this. If you want to help me out, you don't have to give me any money. You don't even have to give me any more time. Just click on click on this episode on a few extra places. It helps out a ton. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for coming in. I love you, and I'll catch you all next time.